you are listening to Caught at an Intersection, the podcast. This podcast is a four-episode series this Pride Month dedicated to fostering conversations about intersectionality, especially for those who fall at the intersection of being both Black and queer. I am your host, Jeremiah Baldwin. I hope you all enjoy the show. Welcome to the first episode of Caught at an Intersection, the podcast, where we are going to dedicate this four-week series to talking about what it's like to fall at the intersection of being both Black and LGBTQ. Thank you for tuning in, and I'm very excited to get this inaugural episode launched. And with me today, I have a close friend, Jordan Walters, and I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. And uh, before I introduce myself, I want to say thank you to Jeremiah for having me uh, for their first edition of this wonderful podcast. Um, Like Jeremiah said, my name is Jordan, but I go by Jord. Um, And uh, my pronouns are they, them. I am a six foot four, dark skin, non-binary, queer Fem, and um, I'm really excited to be here to uh, celebrate Blackness, celebrate queerness, um, and discuss um, our communities, uh, especially on the first day of Pride Month. Um, we're going to be talking about any and everything. This is just an opportunity to educate and learn about the diversity and complexity of not only queerness, but Black queerness. And We're going to kick off this first episode by talking about the one and the only Marsha P. Johnson and how their contributions were very extensive. Um, But the unfortunate part is that their contributions were not only extensive, but they were constantly overshadowed. And that's the first thing that I want to talk to Jordan a little bit about. Uh, Kind of just how you think that we as a community can kind of talk about these conversations without forgetting about the people that have got us to where we are today? Well, um, I will say that I am not an expert on Marsha P. Johnson. And so um, there are some things that I won't be able to explain or that I just won't understand or won't have an awareness of. Uh, But I will say uh, that you're absolutely right, Jeremiah, that um, for so long, Marsha's impact on uh, gay liberation, on queer liberation, on Black liberation uh, was overlooked. And even now, sometimes I'd say uh, that is still the case, especially within Black communities. Um, it, it seems like uh, queer and trans Black people are hardly ever um, uh, brought into our conversation about uh, uh, the ways that we have uh, grown as a community and the, the, the things that we had to overcome to get to this point. Um, I think that in terms of um, honoring Marsha P. Johnson, one, you know, just reading about her her life, reading about the work that she did, um, and really trying to understand the context in which she was doing that work. Um, you know, Marsha was an activist, was a sex worker, was a drag queen, was a Black trans woman, um, and lived in New York City. Um, which is a beast in its own. Um, but she was affiliated, well, she was actually um, a founding member of the Gay Liberation Front, co-founder of STAR, 
um, or the uh, Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, and was also an activist with uh, the AIDS Advocacy Organization ACT UP. And so uh, once you start to kind of understand just how much work she was doing, I think that in itself will allow us as a community, as individuals, to start bringing her into the conversation more, along with other Black trans women, um, Black trans activists. I think that this podcast should be an opportunity for people to educate. And that's why I'm excited to be able to have this platform to give those contributions of people like Marsha P. Johnson, people like James Baldwin, who kind of fall at that intersection of having to not only be excluded from their racial identity and their ethnic identities, but to also be excluded from the queer community, the LGBTQ community as a whole. I want the audience to take a drive with us, per se. And we're going to be encountering some different things. We're going to be exploring some different concepts. Um, But I want you all, wherever you are listening, whether it be in your car or on your phone, if you're in the shower, if you are laying in your bed, I want you all to hop into my metaphorical car and we're going to take a little ride. We're going to take a little ride and we're going to be encountering some green lights, some red lights, some yellow lights, but we're going to be talking about different things and I hope you all are ready to go ahead and jump in. So first we're taking a little bit of a drive and we're pulling up and there's a stop sign. At this stop sign, I want you to take a moment and think about your place of privilege. And for me, that's always been a little bit interesting because I feel as though growing up, I always knew that I was different. I didn't know per se the words um, or how I was different. I just knew that what I was as a person was different than what was seen within my family and then what was seen or portrayed to me through the media. So I think that at this stop sign, I want to think of where... I am, even though I do fall at the intersection of two marginalized identities, I also still have privileges to some extent. I am a cis individual, and those are experiences that benefit me and that I can reflect on that privilege and be able to help other people and use my voice to uplift others and give platforms to others. Um, But Jordan, if you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about ways people at this stop sign can reflect on their position of privilege and uplift others. Yes. Um, I was thinking of uh, uh, that Charlie XCX song, the uh, Let's Ride, Boom, Boom. Uh, I'm going to cuss on the podcast, but anyway, that's the song <laughs> I um, In terms of recognizing your privilege, you need to understand yourself fully, um, which is something that's hard to do. So if we're at this stop sign, Um, This is really a time for us to be um, introspective uh, and kind of ponder who we are as people. So for me, what that looks like is, of course, I'm thinking about my racial identity, my sexuality, my gender identity. But I'm also thinking about, okay, my in terms of the U.S., right, Um, from a U.S. context, I am uh, an individual that is considered a citizen. Uh, a quote-unquote citizen. And so, though I am um, in this position uh, where not only am I Black, but I'm also queer and I'm also all of these other things, I am also a quote-unquote citizen. And with that, um, 
imposed identity comes a set of privileges. Um, and so while I can recognize that there are things I experience that I shouldn't have to experience that are harmful to my life, there are also certain things mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with because I am a quote unquote mm-hmm. citizen. And so with the power that comes with that, um, I have an obligation to use that privilege to um, do something for the community of people who don't have uh, that status. Although, you know, citizenship is a questionable concept, Mm -hmm. um, it still affects someone's life chances. And so what can I do here at the stop sign and reflecting about my privilege to make sure that the people that don't have that privilege are still taken care of and cared for as, as, as human beings. Um, And so, yeah, because I think if you really think about all parts of your identity, um, I think you'll come to recognize that you do have some privileges. It may be a class privilege and you may have the ability to, you know, um, financially support someone who does not have that uh, Mm -hmm. that capacity right now. Um, But I think when we understand our privileges, we can also build better solidarities and do much more sustainable work for each other um instead of against each other i think that's all really great and i love the analogies you kind of brought in you even made me kind of think of some things that i've never really kind of contextualized before or kind of thought of the terminology for uh but as someone who is a quote american citizen as you said that comes with its own uh conversations that need to be had but as someone who is an american citizen that comes with its privileges as opposed to someone who doesn't have that status um, per the American uh, definition of what that is. Um, So I think that that is something that definitely that I, even though I have my own uh, marginalized identities or identities that are disenfranchised, I can still reflect and think that I can still use my position that I have within America or my status per se and help someone achieve better equality. So I think that what you mentioned at the end about solidarity, that's one thing that I really hope to kind of communicate with this podcast is that we're better in numbers and not so much just the numbers, but we're better in numbers when we're working together, we're collaborating. And that's the beautiful thing about allyship when it's done effectively. And the beautiful thing about solidarity is that you have people who have these varying different places in society but when they're working together and when they're achieving things that are going to uplift their community it's a beautiful thing to see and that's the unique thing bringing us back to Marsha P. Johnson that I believe that she was able to do with the work that she did not only for uh, LGBTQ communities but also for the black community she didn't just pick one or the other she did it so beautifully together and I think that's something that people feel as though you kind of have to pick one or the other, especially being uh, a Black queer person, people assume that you can only advocate for the Black community or you can only advocate for the queer community or some people think you shouldn't even do either or. But whenever you're able to do them so well together, it's a symbol of how solidarity and allyship can be portrayed for other people as well. It was Marsha, you know, uh, she was a a, a a a notable figure from the Stonewall riots, which if you mm-hmm. know about the Stonewall riots, that really was a catalyst for, mm-hmm. you know, 
the gay liberation movement and it was predominantly black and brown, you know, trans women really. <laughs> that's not how it's portrayed, though. <laughs> yeah, not how it's portrayed, but that's, you know, that's what was happening. And it wasn't easy. You know, I don't know if we shouldn't, you know, assume that, you know, all the, the, the queer folks were, you know, he high with each other because that simply wasn't the case. Mm -mm. You know? It's not no. the case now, you know at that particular moment, there was a split within the queer community because you had people like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera who were interested mm -hmm. in the well-being of everyone um, and just just wanting to be... Uh, and that's a hard place treated. to fall at. That's Sorry to interrupt, but that's a hard place to fall at because one thing that I feel personally is that I want everyone, no matter what you look like, no matter who you are as a person, I think that you should have everything that this world has to offer it's heartbreaking to hear or see these depictions of Stonewall as being predominantly white or being led by a white cis uh, gay man. And that's sometimes disheartening to see. And I remember, I forgot which movie it was. Um, there was a movie about Stonewall and it mainly centered around a white heteronormative standard and it was really hard to see that and considering that it had no depiction of any black or brown individuals. I don't know if you recall that that film. I don't. But I mean, again, it doesn't surprise me because that's how a lot of things, ha you know, that's, you know, a lot of things have been whitewashed and are being whitewashed. Um, and again, at that particular moment, there was a divide between black Black people and white people, but also, you know, there were white gay men who did not want black trans women, black queer people, brown, you know, trans folks to be the the face of this movement because they themselves were also, um, I I I say <laughs> that they were um, rather in my head, intimidated by the power that, that people like Marsha P. Johnson had, but of course, of course they branded it as uh, that, you know, the Marsha P. Johnsons were um, disadvantageous to the movement. I think that queerness is such a powerful vehicle for changing up our world in the right ways because queerness looks so different for each and every person. Mm -hmm. For me, my queerness is not complete without my blackness and my blackness is not complete without my queerness. And so conversations around such must of course include all aspects of my identity, but the same could be said for, you know, other people uh, bringing in other aspects of their lives. Um, I think that queerness, because it is so, um, so varying and expansive we have so many different examples of the way that love uh can exist that we can exist and it throws into limbo and throws into question so much of what we have been taught uh and so much of what we have come to know um and i think that is is a great thing especially if you think about you know abolition right like um we once we start throwing in the throwing into question all of these structures and and things and ideas, we really start collapsing all of the harmful institutions that exist and making space uh, and clearing for um, something much better. I fully agree with everything that you said. I think that that questioning aspect that Marsha P. Johnson did so well, questioning our forcing people to question themselves is what's really impactful. And I think that everyone should 
question their privilege, question where they are positioned kind of in the puzzle piece that's the United States and how they kind of fit into that, that I guess, that, that level of, of privilege per se. And I feel as though we should reflect on those things and kind of move forward in how we're going to be solidified. So I think ultimately as a whole community, as a collective global community per se, definitely evaluating where you are and questioning. There's nothing wrong with questions. I think that for a lot of people uh, growing up, they're kind of taught not to question. They're taught to just kind of follow the status quo. Um, and that's why as you get older, you start to kind of realize different things and come to different conclusions because you've been able to kind of have that freedom to ask yourself those questions you were never able to ask before. Uh, but we've kind of been at this stop sign a little bit too long. We have some cars behind us honking, but we had a good conversation. Uh, we're going to go ahead and keep driving on. As we're driving, kind of take in the environment, again, reflect on those privileges we just discussed. Um, but as we are walking <laughs> we're not walking we are driving we don't want to get hit by a car um, but as we're driving uh, we pull up to a red light and at this red light I want us to again take a moment and reflect on the contributions of our black LGBTQ members and think about the community as a whole and one thing I want us to think about in specific is the media portrayal of Black queer individuals. And personally, this podcast means so much to me, and I'm so glad to be able to share this with you all, is because growing up, I kind of felt alone in a sense. And obviously, I had... Um, a family growing up. I had a mom, a dad, and a brother. Um, now I have a niece. But I felt alone to some extent because I didn't see any queer representation within my household. And even when I went to go watch movies or watch television shows, already there was a heteronormative white standard. But then whenever I sought out queer movies to learn about different people within the LGBTQ community, it was mainly only white individuals being portrayed. And as someone who is a, quote, darker skinned person, only seeing that narrative was really detrimental to my perception of myself. I think that at this red light, I really want us to think about ways that we can create a culture that doesn't tolerate these harmful portrayals. And I guess that kind of brings me to how I want to segue Jordan or Jordan into this conversation and ask them about kind of their experience and how they feel about the media portrayal and not so much media portrayal for, I guess, older individuals or people um, that are over the age of, say, 19 or 20 years old but for younger children um kind of what do you think about it what do you uh, you kind of think is the current state do you think it's kind of evolved since you were younger i think that 
media portrayals of Black, queer, and trans individuals have definitely changed since I was younger. When I was younger, I don't necessarily remember um, any type of representation. Um, That's partly because um, I feel like my family just via the media, the way the media that I was exposed to by way of my family didn't really include those portrayals. Um, or if there were some something that could be considered queer, it was often like, I don't know if I would say it's queer, but it would be like black men um, portraying mm-hmm. um, or mocking black women as mm-hmm. So, you know, the Tyler Perry's and the um, like a number of, of different people. So that would probably be the closest to what you, I think when I was younger, was something that maybe could have been articulated as um, a queer representation. I think it's definitely enveloped in um, misogyny, or um, I think the, the, the term is misogynoir, um, mm-hmm. you know, particularly uh, uh, harms against Black women. Um, as a form of entertainment, but also as like, uh, like literally building a personality, a caricature of Black women um, as like someone's, I guess, manifestation of their queerness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really something that I support, nor something that I think is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so f- it was so common on Black shows, on Black very shows, common TV shows, and accepted um, and uh, problematic for multiple reasons. Um, but I mean now. I think in terms of representation, you know, we have shows like, like Pose is is a really great show. I mean, I have my own qualms about Pose for a number of reasons, but I do also think that Pose is a fantastic show in terms of just bringing to life or bringing to the to to the center, you know, this story, these stories about black queer and trans individuals. I, you know, don't lean too much on the representation piece because once you have that representation, people who are not within that community tend to think of that representation as the only example of Mm. such an individual. And so when you have, you know, if you have someone that's um, acting, uh, an actress that is um, a black trans, you know, character, female character, and they present that character in such a way, then people start to expect that all Black trans women are that way. And that's just not the case. And mm-hmm. so while representation is a good thing, and I think it is something that we need, to an extent, it can also be harmful because then people limit themselves to only that representation instead of thinking about all of the various examples of this community um, around them and in the world. I think that's a really great point. And I guess I never really thought of it from that perspective before, because I feel like, especially within uh, the black community, it's always representation, representation, representation. So I guess I've kind of internalized that rhetoric a little bit and seen it as though representation is what we need, which in reality, I think that positive representation can definitely go a long ways. But also you have to think critically a little bit and ask yourself what is positive representation or positive representation might be something different for each individual so asking like what is positive representation and necessarily kind of what constitutes negative representation um and i think that that answer is fairly clear sometimes um especially if we just look at some previous uh media um that's been released um 
but I think also something that I think that we can definitely benefit from is just more representation that is being seen in a kind of diverse aspect and kind of having these different characters that take on these different roles that take on these different personas and things like that. And because for so long, it's always just the quote negative or negativity that is associated with black queer people, whether it be abusive relationships or it be something that is, uh, just shown in a negative light that isn't positive in comparison to what we see of our white counterparts. And I think that that's kind of just my perception of representation. Uh, But I think definitely going in thinking critically uh, will impact everyone very much so positively. But now the light is turning yellow, so we have to kind of wrap up this conversation. Uh, But while we're here at the yellow light, I kind of want us to just relax a little bit and kind of delve deeper into some other concepts. Um, But while we're here at this yellow light, I want to kind of pass it back off to Jord and just ask how they think about just ways within the queer community, within the LGBTQ community, we can foster these conversations and have dialogues that kind of cross different racial and ethnic identities. Because you mentioned something, Jordan, about how you mentioned about how we can foster these dialogues and kind of have solidarity um, amongst people and how we're so different. Um, that's what really stuck out to me about how you mentioned that we are so different within this community. So it's kind of difficult to have a quote positive or negative representation. Um, Sometimes it is a little bit more obvious than others, um, but it's still a little bit difficult because we're so diverse. Um, But I guess my direct question is, how do you think that we can kind of have solidarity? Like what tactics are effective and what tactics are useful? We should always be asking, always intervening in. Um, the first thing that came to mind was All About Love, um, New Visions by Bell Hooks. Bell Hooks, yeah, Bell Hooks. fantastic, 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 fantastic book. My favorite book I've ever read. <laughs> I, I mentioned it because it, one, it just feels good to read. And it, it really helps you to unpack a lot of things in your own life. But it also helps you to position yourself from a love ethic and really do everything from a place of love. Um, and that also, you know, looks like things like accountability or um, showing up for, you know, a community that you're not necessarily a part of. But when you work from a love ethic, you start to realize that you're, and this is also just in, I think, more it, quote unquote, radical politics, but not radical at all to me. I think it's just very basic, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that we are all very deeply connected to each other whether we were whether we want to realize they're not we are deeply connected and even though we all have our individual mm-hmm. manifestations of queerness my well-being is tied to the well-being of the people around me the well-being of my siblings um uh my queer siblings you know so i think that that's a really good way for you to really approach those solidarities and having these conversations you have to understand that one you have to have love in your heart and you have to uh, to move from a love ethic in order to pursue this type of work and this type of um, 
commitment. But then also you have to recognize that your life and your struggle is deeply connected to that of the person beside you. And so if you are suffering in some form or fashion, they are also suffering. And if they are suffering in some form or fashion, you are always suffering. So if you're interested in having a good life and sustaining that good life, then why would you want to have the conversation? Those conversations are are a really good, uh, a good starting point for that, that solidarity. And I think we kind of always have this, this conversation of solidarity brought up in relation to the Black community. I think we saw it play out a lot last summer uh, with a lot of these different uh, organizations releasing solidarity statements and then respective demographic groups also um, kind of bringing out the history um, and kind of turning that page on solidarity um, about the history of solidarity within the respective communities between say the black and the Asian community or the black and the Latinx community or the black and uh, say the Palestinian community as we see a lot of discourse happening about now. Uh, and I think that uh, having those conversations, but also not just staying at those conversations, because I feel as though last summer we had a, not just a lot, we had quite a bit of conversations, but unfortunately, in some different contexts, I didn't really see too much change. But I think that's where I want to see us kind of kick off this Pride Month this year is definitely having those conversations talking about the the respective solidarity within the community but also thinking about ways we can move forward and just as i say that this metaphorical light it just turned green so while we're here at this green light we gotta keep going and we gotta move forward so jordan i want you to leave the audience with one or two things however many things you want to leave them with on ways they can move forward with the information we talked about, ways they can reflect on the fact that the first Pride was a riot led by Black and Brown individuals, particularly trans individuals like Marsha P. Johnson, ways that they can reflect on that information and turn it into equitable and sustainable change. I think a really big thing for me is understanding um like as a community as a queer community i'll start there as a queer community i think all of the things that we've discussed in this podcast are what i would like what i would mention you know recognizing the privileges that each of us have within the community uh as a means of you know fostering better relationships and being able to move everyone forward um i think that sometimes people assume that just because they are something that they don't have um a privilege or that they don't have any role in harming other people, um, whether intended or unintended. Um, so recognize those privileges and really work to either use them to the advantage of those that don't have the privilege or work to eradicate the presence or eradicate the context in which that privilege would even exist. There's this quote from Marshall P. Johnson that I can't remember exactly what it says word for word, but it's like, if you don't stand up and say that you are this, this, and this, so no one else is going to like stand up and say that you are this, this, and this. Um, I can't remember what it is, um, but it's similar. It's kind of like, um, okay, not to throw everything in the jumble, but also there's a part in the Kambahi River Collective statement that talks about like, if we don't show up for ourselves, then who will? So all of that to say that 
show up for yourself. Work on showing up for yourself and being there for yourself and supporting yourself and really leaning on yourself for the love that you desire from other people or that you seek from the world. Because sometimes it's just not going to happen and the world's never going to be... Um, you know, the world as it is is not conducive to, to, to our existence. And so mm-hmm. this is advice that I gave, that I took from someone else, that someone else gave me that has really worked for me is, you know, lean into yourself and really build yourself and honor your body, honor, you know, how you've been able to, to overcome things that you shouldn't have had to overcome, but that you did. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think that in doing so, by in, in loving yourself, you also give yourself grace and you give yourself space to be upset and to cry and to be emotional and to be happy, to be angry, all of these different things. Um, I think you pour into yourself and that allows you to um, sustain your, your life as well. You know, obviously it's about solidarities. It's about building community, all these things, but also you have to have community with yourself and you have to have an existing relationship with yourself that is secure before anything else. Um, because if you can't show up for yourself then there's no way that you can show up for your um larger community so i think that's a really good place for us to kind of keep moving forward and to kind of reflect on marcia p johnson as a whole (laughs) is to kind of dig into yourself because i think there's i don't know if this is a quote by a particular person but it goes along the lines of saying how can you expect someone to love you when you can't love yourself and you have to kind of reflect on where you are and love who you are as a person because you were created to be happy. You were created to have everything that you want to achieve, everything that you want to be. And finding that happiness within yourself is what's very beautiful. And if someone doesn't think that about you, that's perfectly fine because as Marsha P. Johnson uh, would always say, just pay it no mind and keep moving forward. Yep, she that's that that is definitely the P in Marsha P. That is it for this week's episode of Caught at an Intersection, the podcast. I have a lot of amazing discussions in store for you all, and I hope you all are ready for the ride. Be sure to follow me on either Spotify, Anchor, or whatever podcast app you are listening from so that you don't miss out on my next episode. I am your host, Jeremiah Baldwin. My Instagram is at jeremiah.baldwin. Hope to see you next time.